witchcraft. It's not always a fun topic for Christians. First, there were the famed witch hunts of the early modern period. Not the brightest part of history, for sure. Then there were the satanic scares of the 1980s and the panicked reaction to Harry Potter and Dungeons and Dragons by concerned Christian parents. Yet today, the term witch is normally reserved as an insult, not a serious accusation. And witch hunt is a pejorative label normally thrown around by eager politicians. After taking it so seriously for so long, the consensus today seems to be that it is nothing more than a joke, a Halloween costume for kids or the subject of a good horror film. Yet for many, the topic is very, very serious. In fact, a 2020 article in The Atlantic was entitled, Why Witchcraft is on the Rise. And according to USA Today, the number of self-identified Wiccans has risen from 134,000 in 2001 to around 2 million today. TikTok has been a major recent force, and the hashtag WitchTalk currently has amassed over 20 billion views. Witches, it seems, are back in fashion. They may not ride on broomsticks, but they more than likely live just a few doors down. Episode of the Spiritually Incorrect Podcast. On this week's episode, we have How Not to Find Your Inner Goddess, Nighttime Hog Horrors, and One Simple Trick to Deal with Annoying Drivers. I'm your host, Seth Hart. Joined with me is Jonathan Lionheart. Hello, my pretty! Now, you're really getting into the mood. It's too bad we didn't do this in October. I'm going to try to find every way to insert any witch reference ever. It's going to be great. Yeah, we won't know which is which by the end. Yeah, I can't swiftly brush that aside. Oh, crap. That's just a broom one. That's not very good. Dang it. Um, let me think. Wait, you need some sound effects with this. <sighs> well, that was anticlimactic. John, you've had a bit of a rough week, haven't you? Yep. My kids have been sick, which means my wife and I have also been sick. And then just in time for us to recover they've caught it again because they got it from us and then we're gonna catch it again so we're getting it twice cycled through and (laughs) i i feel almost as if i've been cursed as if someone has put a spell on me so perhaps today will be informative in that regard well you haven't been you know like looking into spells or joining any covens or dancing naked in the forest have you not recently you know uh, one grows as they get older so we'll see where where i end up 
but not currently naked in a forest. Grows spiritually or physically? Because I definitely feel the physical part coming since marriage. No more fat jokes. That was about me. Oh, that was about. Yeah, you're getting. Yeah. Okay. I you feel can get it. That. You can feel it. Okay. <laughs> marriage does that to you. Wait till you have kids and then you'll get even fatter. It'll be great. John, have you ever actually had an encounter with Wiccans or witchcraft at all? Not that I know of, but I guess you don't need to know of it. One of our stories that she's going to relay today is someone being cursed, having a spell upon them without even realizing it. So have I encountered witches? I don't know. Maybe I've been cursed. Maybe that's why my kids were sick this week. We shall see. And maybe that's why you married my sister. I was cursed. No, you you're the curse. You, you <laughs> are the curse. You are a pox on my household. I So there actually is in my hometown. There is apparently a Wiccan group. And there was a certain cemetery, this old abandoned cemetery they'd meet in. And what's interesting is I had heard this rumor for a long time and I assumed it was just that a rumor. Until I had another friend who knew nothing about this rumors. She said she got lost down there one day and saw a circle of fire and like all this thing going on and like chanting and like all this stuff. And she like got the heck out of Dodge as quick as she could. She had no idea that this was the location and the supposed timing of when they met. And so that to me was like rumor confirmed. And it became a much more real thing to me then because it's like a tiny yeah. little Midwest town. Yeah, for sure. We have a very interesting guest today. If you can't already tell, it's a former witch. Today we have S.A. Tower, the author of A Witch's Encounter with God and From the Craft to Christ. She was a witch for 10 years, a part of a coven of witches, and she is here today to tell us about her journey in that and out of that, including all of the insane stories that go along with it. And I'm very excited for you to get a load of what we're about to share. Yeah, because we just finished recording this and this has had some probably some of the most intense stories that we've heard and we've had an exorcist goosebumps we had an exorcist in a demonic possession we we did and this was this one has some goosebumps but she is so pleasant and sweet and articulate and matter of fact and yeah it's it's you're like wait you were a witch (laughs) (laughs) it's it's she's she's a she's a real delight and at the same she's delightful as she's terrifying you and i i hope (laughs) You uh, leave this a bit stunned, but also inspired. Enough of this prolonged introduction. Let's get to the real stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. So let's go ahead and just start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and upbringing? Sure. I basically grew up in a Christian household. Uh, We went to an Episcopal church at the time. You know, I went to Sunday school, learned Bible stories and the typical. So, you know, I learned good morals of growing up with right and wrong and what I should do and shouldn't do. To me, though, God was way out in the distance. Like, you know, from what I was taught in Bible school and what I was taught in my household, it was like, you know, God wasn't here. He wasn't active in your everyday life. He was somewhere in the clouds in the distance. And, you know, you really didn't get to know him or meet him until you died. So it was just be good while you're here on earth, try to follow the Bible and do what you're supposed to. And then, you know, if you did that well, then you would someday meet him. So it was very distant relationship, you know, if you could say that with God. So I I grew up knowing about him, I would say more so than knowing him personally. But I will say that I had like what I consider an aha moment when my grandfather 
was sick. He was actually in, in bed dying and they really didn't have a lot of hope for him to, you know, live much longer. And my sister and I, we did this kind of like prayer service thing from what we kind of replicated the church experience. And we got our stuff together in our little prayer book from church and, and said prayers for my grandfather. And as long as we did that, it seemed that he continued to live beyond expectation. So that was great. And we were having this time praying and he was pulling through day after day until as kids often do, we got busy with other things and started playing and just kind of forgot the whole thing about praying for my grandfather. And he died. And to me, it's really kind of weird. But in one sense, I was, of course, sorrowful that I had lost my granddad. But at the same point in time, I was excited because that meant to me that God was a little closer than I had anticipated him ever being. So kind of brought him down to a different level where a little bit more, hey, there's a possibility of relating that he really does hear your prayers or answer them. So while in one sense, I had this this upbringing of God and Jesus and church and the other sense, that was my dad's side of the family more. My mom's side of the family were not followers. And my grandmom used to come over our house all the time. And she would a lot of times tell us stories. And she would tell stories of my great aunt, Gracie. And she was a spiritualist. And she actually was a reverend in a spiritual church nearby where we lived. My grandmom used to tell us stories about like when they were growing up more before she became the reverend. It was when she was in her earlier years and she would be reading the tarot and there was a young man that she did a reading for, but he didn't take heed to the warning that she had given him during that reading. And a couple of days later, he was found hanging from a wrought iron fence and he was dead. And so that was like a story that she would tell and it, it got this like fear inside of me. But at the same time, this like morbid curiosity. I wanted to know more. I wanted to know what happened and, you know, what was the source behind that and, and why didn't he listen? And, you know, there, it just left me with a lot of questions. And my grandma would do that often. She would tell stories and then she would say, well, it's not for young years to hear. <laughs> so she would like just give you the, just get you excited about it. And then she'd just kind of drop it and he wouldn't tell you anything more. And it just left you with this feeling of, you know, a desire to find out more. So that was pretty much the way I grew up in my earlier years. There was kind of like this spiritual diachronomy going on between good things and bad things, unbeknownst to me at the time, though, of course. How did it go from having these two influences, spiritualist and Christian, to a few years later, a full-on witchcraft trajectory? What's the journey from your childhood to entering into witchcraft, if you'd mind taking us on that? Sure. I went from what I, you know, as I said, I, I consider a basic knowledge of who God was to actually a personal relationship with him right after I got out of high school. And a friend of mine had invited me to this Jesus um, gathering. It was in like a giant stadium and there was like a lot of people. And it was a whole different type of Christianity that I had ever experienced before. There were people that were speaking in tongues and, you know, music that was different than traditional church music. And it was like a whole different reality that like kind of opened my eyes. And, and soon after I 
gave my life to Christ in a personal way and began to have a personal relationship with him. I went to first an Assembly of God church, and then I eventually ended up in a non-denominational church that had a ministry on healing and deliverance. So it was there in that church. They were very close. I became very close. It was more like a family. We were a very close group of people. The pastor and his wife were more like spiritual parents to me. It's like It was like a discipleship church. So they interacted a lot with you in daily life, not just coming to church on Sunday and go home. So we were very close. And it was at their dinner table that I met my future husband. We got married about a year later and started a family soon after. And, you know, I could say at that point in my life, the only thing I wanted to do was to glorify God in my life, in my marriage, in my family. I just wanted to lift up his name and him be glorified. But it didn't work so well. (laughs) What I didn't know at the time was that my husband had this undiagnosed bipolar disorder. So what started out as, you know, like what I considered, you know, a great relationship and my husband was sensitive and caring and kind, it was just awesome, quickly fell downhill, like really fast. And he went from being a caring Christian husband who was really active with uh, me as his wife and our kids, you know, as a father to just this deep depression where he just kind of withdrew into himself. And he really didn't have a lot to do with anybody else. He stopped going to church. He stopped going to work. He stopped paying bills. (laughs) We were in a very dire strait because we would many times go without basic needs even being met. And it was a very difficult time to walk through. We went through times where he would be just sleeping and then all of a sudden he would be in a fit of rage. So it was just kind of like this up and down roller coaster ride living with him. And it was very depressing to me. And, you know, over time, I began to doubt the word of God for my life. You know, I, I continued going to church and even during this time with him. And I saw pastoral help. So the pastor actually was coming to our house for a while once a week and he would counsel with us. And he did that until my husband stopped coming down to the counseling sessions. So, you know, this was a long period of time. It wasn't just a couple weeks or a couple months. It was really a couple years. I prayed and I just didn't see any results happening. And I came to a point where I just really began to doubt God's word was real and relevant for my life, which left me in just a really vulnerable spiritual place. And eventually what happened is I was home one day and I was just doing some housework and stuff around the house. And there was this book that fell off the shelf when I was cleaning the shelf. It's, it's a book that been in my house for years. It was my husband's book. He had brought it into the marriage. I never had any interest in reading it. It was about an ex-Satanist who became a Christian. And it was supposed to tell about the horrors or the concerns of falling into the occult. And it was a book that when I read it, I was like, something's just not right here. I don't believe this story in its entire, I don't really think there's something that's not quite right with it. So where you would think I would stay away from it, the place that I was in was not a good spiritual place. I went to the library and I read every occult book that I possibly could, trying to figure out whether his story was true or whether it was false or, you know, where it was in in the middle. 
while I was there in the library searching all these books on the occult is where I found Wicca. And I found uh, basically a book about Wicca. And I began to read it. And it spoke of living in harmony with all of mankind and with nature. And I really longed for a peaceful harmony situation in my life because it was in turmoil. It was just horrible <laughs> that I was living in. So I went back and I got more books on Wicca and I just started reading and reading. I just, I really couldn't get enough. When I would put a book down, I would just go back and get more. I, I just read every book that I could possibly get my hands on. It was just like this obsession. And then I had a very weird experience, I guess you would say. I was home one night and I looked outside my window and there was a full moon, but it just seemed to me more brilliant than normal. And it just, I felt this like drawing towards it. So I went outside, I found a clearing, I stood beneath it and I looked up and I called on um, the goddess, which, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about the goddess, except for what I had read in the books that were really quite old books <laughs> from the library. So I really didn't know what I was doing, but I called on her. I didn't know if there was witchcraft was still active in the world today because the books I was reading were old. But I called on her and this like energy just kind of flowed right on through my whole entire body. I just felt this this tingling sensation just go right through me. When I went back inside, um, my kids asked me why my face was glowing. And at that point, I knew that I had opened up some type of passage to a new way of life and something that I had never experienced before. Wow, what a story. Do you mind if I ask, though, you, you brought up Wicca and the Wiccan religion, but I'm sure for a lot of our audience, that might be a new term or something that they're not quite familiar with. Can you give us sort of the basic tenets and belief? Sure. So Wiccans believe in harmony, living in harmony with nature and a balance in nature. It's, it's a very um, earth-based religion where you're connected with the earth and how you know, animals and plants and people are all part of this one universe where we all get along together. The basic beliefs of it, there is a god and there is a goddess. There are many gods and goddesses. Wicca is very fluid. So just like there's different traditions in Christianity, you have Methodist, Baptists, you know, there's also many different traditions in, in Wicca. And they don't all do the same thing. They don't all follow the same way. So there's kind of like a standard that goes through, but you know what one coven may do, another coven may not. There are also solitary practitioners. That's basically a person who is not connected with coven. They practice by themselves. So, you know, they could come up with something entirely different because it is a religion. It's an individualized religion. So you can make it what you want it to make it. You can bring into it what you want to bring into it. So there's not really a set of rules that you have to follow or you have to believe in. They're just our, it's a basic tenets. So where some may worship many gods and goddesses, some may not worship a god and goddess at all. They just worship nature or they are just practicing the form of witchcraft. So it's really different depending on who you're talking to or what group they're involved in. They use magic most of the time. You know, again, I can't say all of the time because there are some Wiccans who practice just the religious aspect of it, and they actually never deal with magic. Yet, there, I'd say majority of Wiccans do practice magic, so they do incorporate that into their daily lives and into their circles with 
other witches, there is a coven. A coven is a group of witches. And, you know, it could be a small coven. It could be a big coven. The traditional number was 12, but it doesn't have to be 12. It could be any number of people that you get together with. So it's basically, there's, it's a very ceremonial type of ritual. Ritual is very ceremonial in the aspect of it. And the beliefs in harming none and working together with each other. And really, it's more focused on for the good of all, the good of mankind, the good of the earth, the good of animals, all together. As a Christian, I hear gods and goddesses, and I immediately think of like the old polytheistic pagan religions. Is there any sort of connection there? There is, again, depending on the branch that you're uh, talking about, because in some of Wicca, it, it is about God being bound in nature, being part of nature. In other aspects, it's polytheists, that there's many different gods and goddesses. And then you could even say in some aspect, some view it as a godhead, which is the source of all. And then that's portrayed in different facets through a god and goddess. So it's really all three. <laughs> is there a, a role for Satan in this universe of any sort? Or is it primarily gods and goddesses? Right. Satan in the eyes of a Wiccan is non-existent, or it is something that Christianity makes up. They don't really believe that there is a Satan who exists. They don't consider themselves as following Satan, even though there is a God that they follow that is the horn God. But they don't look to the horn God as Satan. Satan is just non-existent. He's something that Christians make up to bring fear to people and to <laughs> to encourage them to walk a certain way or have control over their lives. What does salvation then look like? Like what happens to me when I die? So they, there is no salvation per se in, in witchcraft. When someone dies, the belief is more in reincarnation. So when someone dies, they would die and they would go to Summerland, which is kind of like a temporal holding place into their next reincarnation. And then when they came back the next time, it would be supposedly a higher level of individual. And, you know, you would have to complete one lesson of learning before you would reincarnate to the next level. So it was a continued process of reincarnation. Now, that's more in Wicca, but the witchcraft aspect of it, because it depends on the group. You may have some who follow, as I said, just Wicca and others who incorporate witchcraft into their Wicca. So um, a lot of times in witchcraft itself, it's more that when you die, you become part of the spirits of nature. So there's no heaven. There's no need for salvation because there's no afterlife with God. You were mentioning the horned god and how Wiccans in many ways see themselves as a positive force for humanity, restoring nature, bringing people into harmony. It's interesting because I think most Christians would have this sense that Wicca and witchcraft is inherently evil. Now that you've kind of come out of that movement, do you look back and think, yeah, that was evil? Or is it just so much more complicated for you? Well, I think it's complicated in, in the fact that like, I do see it from a different perspective now than I did at the time. But, you know, I know like, you know, at the time I 
I too did not consider the horn god as Satan. But yet now when I look back, you know, I realize, yeah, who I was connecting with. It's kind of a dichotomy because I know from where they are, you know, you can sit all day and tell them that they are really worshiping Satan, but they're not going to understand that because in their mindset, that's not who Satan is and that's not who their God is. So it is very interesting to kind of look back on things. You know, I would say that back then I had contact with spiritual entities and I considered that a good thing. You know, when I look back now, I realize that they were really demons and that's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's it's something that separates you from your walk with God and ultimately could have an, a drastic effect on where you spend eternity. So what I thought was a good thing, now I can look back and say, you know, wasn't a good thing. But at the time, it seemed like, you know, there were spiritual entities there that were to assist you and to help you progress or to do accomplish the things in your life that you needed to accomplish. Do you mind if I hone in on the fact that you mentioned that some Wiccans practice magic? And can I just ask what sort of ritual spells magic? I have an image in my head, but I'm curious how much does that actually correspond to what witchcraft actually is today? Okay, so like a typical ritual for um, a witch, there would be either like a seasonal thing, you would be doing a Sabbath, which is like a holiday witches and what they celebrate so you could have something of that nature or you could be doing actual a ritual for magic or just a full moon ritual there's many different at times of a reason to have a ritual but basically it would be like either a couple people or it could be 12 people it could be any really number of people that would be standing in a circle usually and they would have some would be robed and some would be sky clad which is naked some would just wear, some modern witches just wear typical what I would consider like witch garb, broomstick skirts and, you know, tops with some type of pagan sing symbolism on them. A lot of times it was done barefoot. They would each have an athame and the high priestess would walk around the circle with her athame or a wand or staff and visualize like a circle going around and that would be her casting the circle and usually it would incorporate some type of words as she erected the circle coveners would participate in calling the quarters or the elements into the circle everyone would face that direction and they would call forth earth air wind fire they would then state the intent or the reason for the circle coming together the high priest and high priestess would invoke or evoke the god and goddess and then they would perform whatever ritual they were going to do. If it was seasonal, it might just be poetry or instruction on a different aspect of that season. If it was some type of spell, they would use um, herbs, crystals, and put forth their spell. And the group would participate in that. Now, there would also be, there may be chanting, there could be singing, there could be dancing, all part of that as they would raise energy for whatever work that they're doing in the circle. And then at the end, they would take down the circle, basically bringing down the quarters and releasing them, as well as the god and the goddess, and sending the energy that was filled up out into the universe to do their bidding. And then they basically close the circle. The uh, altar itself would be in the center, or it could be in the east or the north, depending on tradition. 
and it would usually have a altar cover with like a pentacle on it and there would be candles and there would be statues of the god and goddess or it could be just a goddess if that's what they're working with that day a cauldron of water table of salt there would be a bell for ringing in invoking the goddess as well as the elements that were coming into the circle a thame a wand so basically you know depending it could be more elaborate it could be less it could be seasonal they could add flowers in the summer pumpkins in the fall but basically that's kind of what it would look like you mentioned that there were these sort of encounters with spiritual entities or spirit guides or teachers that in hindsight you felt might be a bit demonic while you were going through these rituals and spells that you were just describing did you feel like there were tangible manifestations of those spirits are you occasionally seeing them are they appearing to you giving you advice or was it more just a sort of like the tingling below the moon that you described before yeah, no, there was actual experiences with them. And it wasn't what I would consider a rare occasion. It was, you know, quite often, actually. We, um, in the circle that I was working with, we did invoking rather than evoking. And invoking is basically calling, like when you're calling the God and Goddess, you're calling them within yourself. I wouldn't have considered it at the time, but it is a form of possession because you're inviting a spirit within yourself. So, you know, at the time, I would not have said that. I would have just said, you know, goddess was within and but there were times that yes the experiences were very real i can give a couple examples there was a painting that we had done of a goddess and we we did a lot of artwork in the coven i was involved in and we had painted this painting of the goddess and had it hanging in the room that we would use for ritual and the strangest thing was that um you know when we did the ritual it's like it was really like the eyes of the painting moved wherever you went, it went too. So, you know, that was kind of like one of the things that happened. Another situation that I could say is we had, we were in ritual and we had invoked a goddess and her son, her son many times took the form of a big black leopard. And while we were in circle, the room was dark, it was only candlelight. And it was, we could feel the presence of this prancing of this uh, leopard running around the room and there were books on the bookshelf that literally fell off the shelf now there was nobody near it nobody was around it but the books fell off the shelf and then as this prancing was going forth around the room this leopard stopped in front of me and i looked into its eye and i felt like i just was drawn down and fell into this deep hole that just kept going when I landed on the bottom, there was a mirror. And when I looked in the mirror, I saw the crone goddess. And then in an instant, I was back up in the circle with everybody else. So, you know, things like that happened quite often where you could actually feel the presence of some, someone or something in the room that was, you, know, you were around. There were also other times in my home that there was one instance I could say that I had a what I perceived as a hog that was in my house, was in my room. And I, and I was kind of like, this was in the beginning of my experience in, in Wicca. And I kind of was thinking, well, that's like, I'm feeling this, seeing this, this hog. <laughs> and I kind of was questioning myself or whatever until one of my kids came downstairs and asked me what that 
thing was that was at the bottom of my bed. And I asked her, my daughter, I asked her to describe it because I didn't want to feed into her what I was seeing. So I asked her to describe it and she described a hall. So I take that that was certainly an entity that was visualizing, you know, appearing before us. It seems like these spirits are manifesting as animals. And that's unusual to me because I don't think of them as animals. Was there a reason for why there were these animalistic spiritual beings? Like, why would they manifest in this particular way? Well, I don't think, you know, I, I, the two examples I think I gave really were with animals. It wasn't always animals. You know, there was also presence of, of individuals. You know, a lot of times what I actually saw was, was like a shadowy figure of a person, not really any defined, you know, features, but more of a shadowy picture, a figure of a person. But um, with animals, there's still because like, you know, when the leopard came in, a lot of times the gods and the goddesses, they incorporate themselves into animals to kind of bring out an aspect of them. It's the, the, the nature of their being. And whatever that animal would be, would be kind of like a spirit animal almost where the attributes of that particular type of animal would be something that would be brought out. So I think a lot of times when they manifested as an animal, it was, it was more that, that animal spirit, that basic nature element, which is very much a part of witchcraft, that in those particular cases is what I was experiencing. When it comes to the growth of this movement, we're seeing a bit of a renaissance of witchcraft today. And it's not just in movies anymore. We're hearing more and more about people who are actually getting involved in this. What do you think it's offering to people? What sort of hole is it filling in their lives? And why do you think women in particular are being drawn into this? When you talk about the growth of the movement, I look at it a little different. The, the witchcraft that I had been taught when I was part of it was different, I think, than the Wicca today. It was much more intense. You had to go through a lot of study, a lot of experience before you could even call yourself a witch. You know, now, now it's kind of like it's on the internet. <laughs> and I think the internet was something that has, is, is the source of the reason that we see why there is so much of it today. Because anybody could just go online and they can read a book, they can look on a website, they can take a class, and then afterwards they consider that themselves as a witch. And that's not the way, you know, it ever used to be. You had to study a year in a day, you had to be initiated to be a witch. Nowadays, it's just, you know, you go online, read a book, you go online, you take a class, you go online and you decide that that's what you are. And so it's... It's become so mainstream that when you say that the religion has, has you know, risen, have, has grown, it has, but it's a whole diluted version than what it used to be. So yes, it has grown, but it's not really the same. It's changed. It's certainly changed. It's, it's, it's changed a lot of its own beliefs <laughs> and has grown into something entirely different than you know, I believe that it first started out. But I would think that the reasons that many people get involved is, number one, I think the biggest thing is empowerment. It's about having the power to change your life. And it might not necessarily be a bad thing. You know, there may be something in your life that really needs changing. You take young kids and 
a big thing right now is, you, you know, you see all around there's bullying, you know, young kids go to school and they're bullied by their peers. The kids on the internet are bullied. We, we see kids that are, you know, committing suicide and stuff because they're, they feel stuck. They feel like they can't get away from it. And there's other kids who are just, you know, they just don't feel like they can connect with their peers in school. Or maybe they're timid or they're shy. And for those kids, this is like, this is power that they can grab a hold of, something that they can, that they feel like it will help them to change their life and bring about change so that they don't, they're not stuck into situations where they can't control. And I think, you know, control is a lot of, a lot of it too. That extends beyond just young teens. That goes into adults as well. You want to control your life. You know, maybe circumstances aren't exactly the way you want them and it's out of your control. So it's, it's a harnessing of power to gain control to make the changes that you want to change. Or in some cases, it could even be a situation where someone is really seeking revenge and they're looking for a way because maybe they've been abused or, you know, someone has harmed them and they're looking for a way to make changes so that they're not under that constant abuse anymore. And so to them, it's, it's an all-empowering religion that's attractive because it helps them to achieve what they, they feel they need and get out from under whatever situation they're in. And I think women in particular find that a goddess-centered spirituality is appealing because the goddess is seen in all women and it encourages women to look at themselves and see the divine within. So for those that feel Christianity has in some way restricted them to the lesser vessel or someone who's just not quite as equal to a man, the concept of being strong and sacred is quite alluring. For me personally, you know, I longed for peace in a household that had nothing but turmoil. And I felt that the male figures in my life had let me down. Having a goddess spirituality was certainly attractive. And I wanted to take control over my life. It seemed that nobody else really cared. So the concept of being strong rather than being submissive was certainly an attraction. And I guess when you're able to do these sorts of spiritual practices where you're in literally invoking spirits, that probably does give a sense of power and control over the world. You spoke about the empowerment, being able to take control of your life and, you know, cast a spell or get revenge or something like that. Did you feel like those things worked where you could cast some sort of spell and it would actually, it would have the desired effect? You would be able to change something or get revenge or whatever it was. Was this an effective means of gaining power? At the time, I thought it was. And there were certainly things that, you know, spells that I had done that did materialize. So it's not as if nothing ever happened. It did. And not all the time, but, you know, a good percentage of the time. Yeah, they would work. There were different occasions that, you know, I could say just speaking from a point in time when what would I consider on the borderline of being right or wrong? There was a situation where I felt in danger. I was driving down the road at night. And there was a car that was kind of following me and kind of coming up alongside of me. And it was just kind of like it was making me very uncomfortable. And I was concerned for this car. So I did a spell 
you know, not an elaborate spell because they don't always have to be with, especially the longer that you work with Wicca, the less you need different things to focus your mind, to help your mind focus on them. But I did a spell while I was in my car to stop this car from following me and from bothering me. And it was always, you know, one of the things that we, we did in Wicca all the time was for the good of all, you know, you don't want to do anything that's going to harm someone necessarily, but for the good of all, but you want protection. So I did a quick protection spell and the car was just gone. And I didn't really know what happened to it. I kept going and I was like, okay, great. And I went about on and it was really like a couple weeks later that the strangest thing happened was there was in the news that there was this car and it was the same description of the car that I had seen that was in a ditch that went off an embankment on this portion of the road, which is right where it had happened. And so this car had went into the embankment off the, the road and it was found like two weeks later. So that to me was like, you know, a manifestation, of, you know, this protection spell. And the, the results were that the car was gone. I wasn't in any danger and it was found later. So when, but when you think about that, it's kind of like, okay, so I was protected, but what about the guy in the car? <laughs> You know, it's like that didn't work out so well on his part. So there were times that bells were, were cast that that didn't come about, but there were many times when it did. And I could say there was one specifically that in the very beginning, you know, I spoke about the church that I was involved in, that we were like more like a family and the pastor and his wife were more like spiritual parents to me. And it was a very uh, different time because after I had gotten involved with, with witchcraft, they actually applied Matthew 18 to me and said that I was the disfellowshipping scripture where I was not allowed to come to church anymore, which at the time was very hurtful for me. And you would kind of think, why? Because you're involved in witchcraft. Why would you want to go to church? And it's really not that I wanted to go to church. I just, you know, I had a connection with them and I didn't want that to be you know, severed because I was often to this other belief. And so it's really kind of ironic. It's kind of strange, but I was very upset over that. And I went through a period of time where, you know, periodically I would kind of go back a little bit, but I would get really angry because of what they were preaching. I just, you know, I didn't agree with any of it. I would usually leave angry. And then, you know, occasionally they would kick me out again. I was actually kicked out three times. So <laughs> Um, you know, from different aspects. And I was told that I, you know, wasn't to come back again or whatever. But there was one point that, you know, I had went on my journey which, with witchcraft for quite a while. And I found that I was really getting annoyed at the fact that it seemed like it was hindering me from my walk because I would go to do a spell or or something. And, and then I would feel like I would remember something that my pastor had said. And it would bother me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I look back now and I'm thinking like, you know, okay, that was the Holy Spirit, like bringing to your mind something that you should be paying attention to. But I just was very frustrated with that. And I decided that I wanted to do the one thing that I had always promised him that I would never do. And I decided to do a banishing spell to sever the ties with him. Now, I had always promised him that the one thing I would never do was to cast any type of spell on either him or anyone in the church. And I had pretty much abided by that, except when I came to this point where I just felt like, you know, I just, I have to sever the ties. I can't deal with this anymore. So I did, I did a banishing spell. And when you're 
you're talking Wicca, it's not usually banishing spells. They're usually more spells for good things. You know, you want a good job. You want <laughs> healing for someone. You know, you want happiness for someone. It, it, love. You know, you want things that, that are good for people, not so much. But there is a dimension of it that does come in when you consider other things, which is where I was at this point in time. So I did a spell. I did a banishing spell. and. I waited a while and I called him to find out. Basically, I wanted to see if the spell worked. And I called him up and he told me that um, he was putting his house up for sale and that he was moving. He was retiring and moving. And like in that instance, it really like, I just felt a heaviness. It really like, it really got to me. I was like, wow, what did I do? Like, what, what am I doing? Because he's always been really a good person for me, like he's someone that I could always come back to and talk to if I had a problem that I was open to hearing, <laughs> you know, he was, he was always a, a, a good source for me. And here I was like severing that relationship and now he's moving away. So it was very devastating to me. And I actually told him that I had cast the spell and I thought like that was it. I would never talk to him again because he would be really upset with me. And he was, he was very, very upset. And it was not a, a good conversation. I hung up. I felt really bad, but there was nothing I could do to change it at that point in time. So you were in Wicca for about 10 years, mm -hmm. but you also had this sort of church connection in the background that you were just talking about. What was kind of the turning point for you? What led you to leave witchcraft? Well, part of it was the situation that I just told you about, the spell that I had cast. That was a big part of it. But one interjection before I get to that point, I would just like to say that what had happened before that, I, I kind of got a little ahead of myself, I guess. Because what happened before that, there was a point in time when I was very much involved in Wicca that one night I had a dream. And the dream was I saw the face of Jesus. And he was asking me, he said, who do you say that I am? It was the most real dream I had ever had. Totally freaked me out. I like jumped out of bed, threw the light on. I was just like, whoa, what just happened? Looking around the room, there's nobody here. You know, trying to convince myself this is just a dream. Calm down, you know. And then I tried to go back to sleep. And as soon as I start dozing off, there it was again. Who do you say I am? <laughs> so like this time, I'm, I'm really just unsettled. It, it's just really freaking me out. I'm up, I'm shaking. I'm like trying to convince myself this is just you're having nightmares. Just, you know, calm down. It's okay. God's really not talking to you. You're a witch. <laughs> you know, he's not going to talk to you. Just relax, you know. So then the third time I went to go back to sleep and it happened again. And this time I gave an answer. I said, I don't know but I'll find out. And I was afraid to really give the answer because to me, I knew that to the pagan, Jesus is a, he's a prophet. He's a teacher, but he's not God. To the Christian, he's the son of God. He's a savior. But this wasn't asking me about what pagans thought or what Christians thought. This was a personal question to me. And he was asking me what I thought. And it just totally like, I was like, why are you asking me this? <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't know how to answer it because if I said, as pagans did, that he was, you know, a prophet or he was a teacher, then I would be denying who he was. And in my heart, I kind of knew that wasn't really where I wanted to go. But at the same point in time, I wasn't about to say, 
that he was the savior. So I, I was kind of in this place of trying to figure out how I should really respond. So I tried to just ignore it and pretend hopefully it would go away. It was just a dream. Like six months later, I, I was still like just plagued by this thought. So I, um, I did call the pastor up and I had a talk with him. And he said, I believe you're hearing the voice of God and that you need to give him an answer. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> so they invited me back to church to find the answer. And so I did go back to church. So I had this period of time where I was going to church and I was still engaging in ritual. So I, I was like kind of like sitting the fence back and forth. My heart was really in Wicca, but, you know, I, I just had to answer this question. So I stayed there for about six months, a year, and um, the same thing happened. They kicked me out of church again because there wasn't any, <laughs> there wasn't any progress. There was no growth. You know, I was still staggering the fence. So after that experience, I got really bitter, and I didn't want to have anything to do with God in my life at that point in time. I was like, just don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear anything about him. I just went full-fledged, focused on my practice in the craft, and I didn't want to know anything anymore. So when the time came that I just shared before about the spell that I had did to sever the ties with the ex-pastor, that was because you know, I was really in a place where I didn't want to hear anything anymore. And yet I still kept thinking of things that he would say so that it really bothered me. And so we came to this point that after he was very upset with me for what I had done, he called me back. It was weeks later. It may have been, been a month later. And he invited me to church, which totally floored me because why are you inviting me to church? I thought you were never going to talk to me again. And he wanted me to meet this woman who he said was an ex-occultist, and he thought that she would be good to talk to me. So at that point, going to church was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. I had no desire to want to do that, but I just felt kind of like, okay, after what I did, I could, I could at least respond and go to church. So I agreed to him that I would, and he told me that he would talk with the elders and get back to me. And he did. He got back to me, and he invited me back to church of all times. It was Halloween. <laughs> the night before, I w I'm, I'm scheduled. I'm ready to go to this. Um, it was a public ritual, the coven that I was part of. We would have a, an open circle at certain times of the year where we would, you know, outsiders could come. And then we would have our own individual ritual within, a, you know, just the group. So this was the open circle, the public circle for everyone. And it was the night before. And I'm thinking, like, I'm going to be out all night long. And I'm going to be part of a ritual that, you know, I know I'm going to be charged with energy. There's just no way <laughs> that God is going to be able to even, you know, touch me. I'm going to hear anything. It's just really, it's unthinkable. But, you know, I felt like, well, I at least owed him that much. And so I would, I said, yeah, I would come. So, you know, I went to the ritual. I came home. I got like two hours sleep. The alarm's going off. And I'm like, you know what? Stay home. <laughs> That's what all the witches are doing, and you should do too. Just stay home, stay in bed, just don't go. But at that point, I kind of wanted to prove that nothing was going to happen <laughs> because, you know, I had this energy all charged within me, and there's just no way nothing's going to happen. So I got up and I went to church. And so the, the whole experience is really wild. I come in and I sit down, and worship starts, and I start crying. 
And I'm sitting there trying to figure out why am I crying? I have no reason to cry. I thought things were good in my life. And, you know, I thought I was finally getting the things that I want out of life. And here I am sitting here crying. And so I didn't quite know what to make of it. But this woman came over to me. She gave me a hug and she told me, Jesus loves you. And I thought, you, you don't know who you're talking to because he certainly doesn't love me. I'm a witch. But, you know, I didn't say anything to her. And she was new. I didn't know her. So I figured, you know, she's just trying to do the Christian thing and she doesn't know who I am. So worship ended and it was time the pastor started to talk. And she comes over and she says, you know what? God told me to come and sit and hold your hand. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of odd, but all right. So she sits down next to me and she holds my hand. And then right after that, the pastor says, we're going to speak on Halloween. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> not the sermon that I want to hear, you know. So I basically sat there grinning my teeth and I was furious <laughs> of, um, you know, what he was talking about. And I was not accepting of the sermon very well. And then the sermon was coming to an end. And I, I couldn't wait to leave. I really couldn't wait to get out of there. She left. She went back to her seat. And I was like, okay, this is great. They're going to say their prayer, release everybody. I can get out of here. And then he announces that they're going to do corporate spiritual warfare because of the type, the season that it's in. And I'm like, okay, really time for my exit, you know. And I got up to, to get ready to go. And this other woman comes over to me. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. You came here to meet this woman and she's here. So I want you to meet her. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so um, we go off into this corner in the back of the room and sit down and we start talking. And then before I knew it, the service had ended. The building, they used it for a daycare during the week. So they had stocked up all the chairs and put it, everything all away. And here I was in this little cubicle with like bookshelves and stuff kind of all around. There's only one little opening and the prayer team. <laughs> And me, <laughs> so and, and this woman, and so she was talking, and then she started to lay her hands on and pray for me. And when she did that, I literally felt things leaving my body. And, like, I freaked out. I, I honestly didn't want him to go <laughs> from at the place that I was. I was like, you know, I was happy with where I was. And I was like, no, 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 no. Okay, thank you, but no thank you. I have to go. And I got up and... There was a guy standing in the only opening. He was kind of standing there with both hands, like on the bookshelf. So it's kind of like blocking the way. I ran right under his arms and ran outside. So I get outside and I realize I left my purse with my keys back inside. <laughs> so I can't go anywhere. So like I'm standing out there trying to figure out what to do. Some, some of the women were leaving and I tried to convince them to go back in to get my keys to be nice Christians, right? And go in and get me my keys, but they weren't having it. So. I went back inside and I planned it just right to make sure that, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch of people around. There was a wide open space. I could get in, grab them and get out. And so I, I go in and I grab my pocketbook and I turn to go and the pastor was standing there. And all he said to me was, you can't run from God. That's it. Nothing drastic. And I just stopped because it was truth. And he was right. I couldn't run from God. And I just stopped and I just stood there. We ended up sitting down and talking and I ended up giving my life back to Jesus that day. That's an incredible story. And just to kind of take it up to the present day, 
how have you found your life is different? And do you still keep in contact with people from your old Wiccan community? At first, you know, I've been out now as long as I was in. And at first, I did keep some communication with those that I had been involved in, more on a personal level than a spiritual one. You know, I had relationships that, you know, I cared about the people and what happened to them. So yeah, we did keep in touch for a while. Over time, I've kind of lost touch. So at, at this point in time, I'm not really in touch with them anymore. But my life has changed drastically in the fact that I now have this relationship with Jesus. And it was really about his love that just kind of came in and just washed all over me. And, and that was the turn, really the turning point for me. It was like this love, it was an irresistible love that I just couldn't say no to. And so when I first came out, it was the irresistible love. It still captivates me today. And so now it's at a point where, you know, I just want to share my testimony with others. I want to share with others to help them in their walk so that if they come to this place, because I know if you're involved, a lot of times the things that Christians say don't make sense to you. They seem like they're very judgmental and unkind to you as a wicked. So, you know, I, I kind of know what that's like. So I want to be able to t show them people that there, there is a God who loves them and cares about them. And the other thing is to share with the church the experiences, because a lot of the experiences that are typical reactions that churches do in how they treat people who are involved in witchcraft or Wicca is what happened with me. And really, they're not, they don't help the matter. They build the wall higher. They put a big block between, I believe, that person and, and, and getting a relation into a relationship with Christ. It's just, they build the wall higher rather than tear the wall down. You were beginning to hit on a bit of the differences between Wicca and Christianity. Could you elaborate a bit more on what is it about Christianity that you have found that was lacking in Wicca? I mean, you talked a bit about the love of God and a bit more, but I wonder if you could elaborate on some of the key beliefs and experiences that are crucially different. Right. I think, you know, one of the things is eternal life. With Christ, we have eternal life. We have the promise that when we leave this life here, there is eternity in the presence of God. And so we have something to look forward to, that time when there is no more pain, no more tears, no more crying, no more things in this life that we have now that bring us down. And so we look forward to that time being with God, where in Wicca, there's no need for salvation because there's no eternity. There's either the temporal holding place until you reincarnate and come back again, you know, do the same thing all over again. Or there's just you die and become part of the spirits of nature, you know. And so there's 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 nothing to look forward to. There's no relationship. There's no experiencing love from the ultimate supreme God. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things. The other thing is one of the biggest differences is God himself. You know, we worship a supreme God, a one and only God. And Wiccans celebrate, you know, or worship many different gods. That's a big difference between, you know, one God who is the supreme creator of the earth, whereas a multitude of gods, goddesses. <laughs> so that is another way, another thing that I think is, is very different between the two. Thank you so much for your time. This has been an amazing 
and honestly quite a challenging interview and I really appreciate you taking your time for it. If you could just leave on one note, there may be someone listening to this, a young girl perhaps, who's thinking about getting involved with witchcraft. If you could just say one thing, what would it be? Uh, just one thing? <laughs> I think I would. Or two, <laughs> or three. Okay. So I guess what I would say is, you know, I would first ask what it was that was drawing them to Wicca. What was the reasons for wanting to go? And I would stop to listen and hear them out. And then the biggest thing that I would have to say is, you know, you'll likely go there and you'll gain some friends. You'll get to know some nice people. You'll experience some different things that you haven't experienced before. But when it comes down to it, whatever change that you wanted to make, what do you do when you get to the point when you realize that the change you're looking for, the source of that power that you're looking for, is within yourself? There's no supreme deity. It's within you. And if you can't change your circumstance now, what makes you think that you're going to be able to change your circumstance then? Because it's still the same power within you. You're not going to be able to. And then I would tell them there is a God who loves them and who can bring change in their life. And I would introduce them to Jesus because that's really who they need. Thank you so much again for your time. We really appreciate everything you said. Thank you. So I forgot to ask her about the difference between prayer and casting a spell. Because when she was talking about it, it sounded very similar to how I pray during the day. If I was having an upsetting incident, I might take a moment to pray to God in the same way that she kind of took a moment to cast a spell in that car incident or throughout her day. I, I wish I'd asked her about it, but I think she might have hinted at what the difference is. Whereas casting a spell is about empowering yourself. I have the power to change this. I guess prayer experientially for me is saying, I don't have the power. I don't have this. I'm not in control. God, I give it up to you. I give myself over to you. That seemed to be a reoccurring theme throughout it. This difference between being empowered and this sense that you can have all the power within you that witchcraft was saying, like you can cast the spells, you can change yourself. And a sort of Christianity where it's like, no, I don't have this. I don't got this. I need God. I'm curious, though, because you can still say, Lord, give us strength. And there are people who feel empowered through prayer to God. I wonder if there still is the sense that prayer is about giving you power. I mean, I pray for the strength to do things quite often. Yeah, but I guess there's an implicit recognition that I don't have this power within me. Please help by sending it. Whereas it sounded like witchcraft was more about unleashing the power that's already within you, unleashing the inner goddess that dwells within. And I guess there's there's a difference there. There's a difference between saying everything I need exists within me and I just need to unlock or tap into that power versus saying, no, I'm a, a finite, broken individual and I need help. I need help from the outside because I, I can't handle this all on my own. Is there a sense, though, I mean, there's still spirit possession and the spirits, in a sense, providing these and doing these things. Like she gave the illustration where the car went into the ditch, right? where the power still comes from an external source. That's interesting. And I I wish we could just bring her back here to, to say her opinion on it. But I mean, at the end there, she did seem to be suggesting that witchcraft is just about unleashing what's already within you. And I wonder if the spirit possessions actually are bringing in something from the outside or are entering into you 
in order to help you unleash what's already within you. And I, I wonder if that's part of why they're always so natural and why witchcraft is so bound up with the natural world and animals and those types of things, as if all that is needed is already here in the natural world, in the natural body. We don't need a supernatural. We don't need an infinite transcendent other God because creation and you already have everything within you. Yeah, there is a sense that it nearly does seem, they nearly seem like one's a parody of the other in a sense, right? Invoking the spirits to give you power rather than divine. Like you're invoking lower or evoking. She threw a distinction between the two, which I thought was real interesting. You're, nevertheless, you're using these sort of lower order finite spiritual beings rather than the infinite God who is the font of all power and being itself. So it does nearly seem like one is nearly just like this lower parody. In yeah. that sense, it's Christianity light in a sense. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the reasons I think philosophically a lot of people have seen science and magic as linked, where science is giving us power over nature, power over yes. the environment, power over our bodies through medicine, technology, etc. And magic is also attempting to do that exact same thing. The difference is that science is magic that succeeded, whereas we dismiss as magic whatever was bad science. Sounds like it does succeed in some cases if her story's <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like it, it does a little bit terrifyingly. Yeah. So I, I, I had a car accident a few years ago where I was following this woman and then suddenly I veered off. And then today I discovered that it was because she cast a spell on me. And that was that was <laughs> that upsetting. was you. That was me. No. <laughs> You should have, in the middle of the interview, wait a second, that was you? That, that was you? Well, this probably isn't a great thing to joke about. But no, the, it, it, uh, she kept emphasizing that it was about power and about empowering yourself. And for me, that was a key difference. I was trying to tease out what was essentially different between her Wiccan faith and her Christian faith. And I, I do wonder if it's it has a lot to do with this thing of power. One is about empowering the self and taking control and using spells and rituals to force the hand of the universe and dominate and control it. Whereas the other is about giving up control to God and saying, I, I don't have this. So one is about being like God. You will be like God if you eat of this fruit. And the other is about actually divine likeness, about being like the son of God, looking like his image. And again, mm. it just seems like one's a parody of the other, right? To take the fruit in the garden, this original couple, this original story we have of sin is an attempt to be like God. But what does the New Testament tell us to do? Be imitators of God. It sounds super contradictory until you realize that one is trying to be God himself, trying to supplant God, whereas the other one mm. is being made in the image of God, a divine reflection in that sense. That's It's such an interesting distinction because it's so subtle, but it, it, it's everything. It's the difference between a son who kills his father because he wants his inheritance. He wants to be in his father's place. He wants to be like his father and in control of everything versus the son who watches the loving, responsible way that his father takes care of all of the things in his household and then attempts to do the same being loving and responsible without needing to usurp the father. That's a good illustration. I guess I was playing off of the story in the New Testament. Prodigal son. Yeah, that one. I forgot the name of it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's why I need God's power and wisdom to enter into me from the outside because I don't have it from the inside, Seth. I am you more than most. Yeah, more than most. So can I can I pick up on something that I thought was the most fascinating, I think, was at the very beginning, when she's relating this story about seeing the moon and it's vivid and she goes out, she has a spiritual experience that had she said, 
it was Jesus, I would just have been like, yeah, of course that was Jesus. But it's a Wiccan experience. This is, <laughs> it, it was it was exactly like so many other spiritual experiences that I've heard. Yeah. But it wasn't because the object was different. And so I, 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 what do you do with that? The fact that it, in all reality, if these are lower order spirits, demons, whatever they are that are causing these sorts of things to happen, one, they've created a religion that wants to benefit all mankind. And two, they create huge moments of ecstasy where people feel a divine presence within them. That's yeah. something to deal with. I don't, that's not what I think about when I think of demons. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I guess the skeptical person might say the reason that those seem the same is because it doesn't matter what you're worshiping. It's all a bunch of hooey that you're making up. And so you feel the same things, regardless of what the object of that is. But I suppose a more theologically rich answer might just be that. Um... Yeah, what would it be, John? I don't know. I'm I'm praying to ask God to help PhD me. PhD in theology, professor. <laughs> well, it's it's so for an example in Dante's universe, love is just as present in hell as it is in paradise, and the idea is that the same love that people feel in heaven is present in hell. It's just it's about its object, what it's directed towards. In hell, their love is directed towards created things like food, sex rock and roll or the Italian equivalent of that in the 13th century. Uh, but in heaven, their love is directed towards higher things, higher yeah. transcendent things. It's towards God and other humans and that sort of thing. And I, I wonder if this spiritual encounter, this, this sense that people get of religious awe is very similar, no matter what your object is. You're experiencing it in Wicca, in Christianity, but at the end of the day, what really makes the difference is the object, the source of the experience. And if you're directing that awe and devotion and encounter towards lower things, created natural things, which Wicca ultimately is, you're going to end up with a very different result than if you're directing that awe and reverence and love towards higher things. So it's kind of like if I sent you a birthday gift through Amazon, it's an amazing gift and you grab it and you're like, oh my gosh, thank Amazon. Thank Jeff Bezos for the beaut <sighs> this amazing gift. And I'm over here. I was like, no, I'm the source of the gift. Praise be to Bezos. May he live forever. Or you just admire the gift and you never say thank you. Right. In the same way, like maybe what's going on here in these experiences is you are seeing the reflection of the divine glory in creation and because everything, in a sense, reflects the divine glory. You can't exist, in a sense, without, in some way, participating in God. God is existence itself. And so by God giving us this, you know, that the creation reflects this, that maybe we can, again, it's a parody. Yeah. That you can get this gift, you can receive these gifts and see the divine power and yeah. eminence through creation. And look at that and go, that's divine. You know, and that's divine. And you can have these spiritual experiences without recognizing the real object, the sender, like in my yeah. Yeah, like weird just, Amazon illustration. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was a perfect illustration, oddly enough, Seth, because it's worshiping the gifts. It's worshiping the delivery system, the mechanism like Amazon or Jeff Bezos and totally forgetting about the person who sent the gift, the person mm -hmm. who handcrafted the gift and put it in the box and sent it to you. And I think that's a perfect illustration of what this is, because like you said, creation is good. God made it and called it good. When Wiccans are entering into nature and having this experience of it, they are 
encountering things that are genuinely good. And like you said, like the gift is good, but we can't forget the giver of the gift in whose likeness it is made, in whose mind it was shaped and formed and brought into being. I guess that's a good and perhaps easy way to understand how is it that they can have experiences of great joy and ecstasy in these spiritual moments is to say, yeah, I mean, that is from God. The problem is that the object is it's just distorted in seeing who the object of that adoration ought to be. Yeah, it's it's praise directed towards myself and other created things rather than toward the creator. Yeah, and I can definitely see how, let's just say, demonic or spiritual beings might manipulate it to their own particular ends. That actually does make sense to me. Because you are one of those lower level demonic entities, Seth. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a good point for a sound effect right there. Yeah, you should insert a sound effect there. You're getting really good with them. Oh, thank you. Are you keeping this in the recording or is this all going to be edited out? This little conversation? It's gone. This is gone. This is gone? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you brought up that Wicca is actually growing. And I looked into this and according to the Pew Research Center, there's actually 1.5 million Wiccans, uh, you know, in the United States alone as of 2018. That number is probably higher because that's the trajectory. That's like more than half of a percent. I've tended to think of Wiccans as, you know, there's one or two people off in a forest somewhere doing ha 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 Hansel and Gretel type of stuff. But 1.5 million in the United States, that means one in every 200 people you encounter is involved with this. Like they are everywhere and this is not a small thing and yet no one's talking about it. John, you seem to know a lot about Wiccans. It's nearly as if you were one of them. I know a lot about them and they know a lot about me, Seth. Uh, No, but actually like this is an expanding phenomenon. I think we're going to be dealing with it more and more And yet I haven't heard almost anything. I haven't heard churches talking about this. I haven't heard about it in popular culture. It's an expanding, massive phenomenon. Atheism globally is on the decline. Whereas statistically, even in the West, belief in witchcraft, belief in spiritual aspects is making an incredible resurgence right now. The apologetics of the future is going to be one that basically accepts the reality of spiritual beings, but then has to battle for that spiritual terrain. Yeah, I mean, this is part and parcel with the whole New Age movement as a whole, because, well, the New Age movement has been exploding since the 70s and so on. There's a lot of people that wouldn't go full-blown witchcraft within the New Age movement. But there's a similar self-help, the power is within you, find your inner goddess, your inner god self, and this sort of divinization of you in the material world that is true in both Wicca and in the New Age movement. And the New Age is huge. It has just permeated every facet of society. Even the church is constantly bringing in New Age stuff without realizing it. And I think you're right. Like The future isn't going to be post-Christian in the sense of atheism. It's almost going to be a return to the pre-Christian, to the the pagan spiritual world. Of course, we have a post-Christian flavor to it. What's interesting to me is the same thing is happening in Wicca as what happened in the New Age movement. Originally, there was theosophy. It was a society. It was essentially a parody of a church. Very sort of structured, organized body. But then that splintered off into various different other movements, such as Alice Bailey's and Anthroposophy, and it became a a series of movements. But then it splintered into the New Age, or as a set of practices, but the organizational aspects sort of went away. And now we're entering a sort of fourth phase of new age, 
where it's less about even having a structure of beliefs. It's just you sort of pick and choose beliefs. Because of that, it's diffused most into the culture. We're having conversations about Atlantis like we've never had before. We're having conversations about telepathy and these sorts of things like we never have before. And I think that's actually a good thing because then you can tear apart each belief one at a time and look Atlantis at Atlantis is real, Seth. Right. I, well, I... <laughs> that's not a threat to Christianity if there was a place called Atlantis. But what's happening with Wiccan is it's also getting more individualistic as it moves to the internet. It started with the covens. And then she talked about how there are hedge witches, these individual witches. And now it's becoming an internet phenomenon where it's just a very individualistic thing. It's sort of splintering out. But because of that, it's also growing. So it's it's pre-Christian in the sense that there's these pagan sort of spiritual elements, but it's very modern and Western in the yes. individualism inherent to it. There's a rejection of authority, a rejection of institutional systems. There sort of might be some communal elements there, but there's a consistent individualizing. And that, that individualism is also bound up with the sense that what you need is within you. You don't need to go to a god or an institution or some external source. What is needed is for you to discover what's within you because you have everything within you that you need already. And just look within and garner the inner witch power that's within you. Yeah. And so I think more than anything right now, I think the church needs to return to that institutional structure and hold on and grasp onto it as something that makes it distinct. So I feel like in our discussion, we've been very... I don't want to say dismissive, but we've latched onto this idea that Wicca is very individualistic. It's very much about grasping power for yourself. I don't know if that's wrong necessarily, but I do feel like part of the beauty of having her on was she just had such a nuanced approach to this. She had yeah. left that movement, but she also had a sense that like there's stuff that's beautiful there. There was stuff that was good and communal and they desired to change the world. And as much as I think our discussion has been interesting, I also think the complexity of her account is something we should leave here today with as well, that even if we disagree with something, we don't need to demonize that group, even as we say that they are literally demons. <laughs> but I mean, there, ha there has to be an appreciation that there isn't just a black and white us and them, that God is working everywhere, even in the darkest corners and shadows and places. You mean like your soul? That was really what I was getting at was it, this is about me. This is self-help. I see. This, okay. this is self-help. That's what do you think? Having a podcast, it's self-help. It's therapeutic. It's getting out our anger at society in a socially acceptable space where we still get to pretend that we're kings. John, it's time for your anger management session. We better end this. All right. again for listening to the spiritually incorrect podcast if you like what you heard please consider subscribing and leaving us a five-star review we're an up-and-coming podcast and every little bit helps also consider joining our patreon page patreon sponsors have exclusive access to unaired episodes different kinds of merchandise the ability to suggest an episode and even an hour-long interview with jonathan and i check it out at spirituallyincorrectpodcast.com and see what you're missing out on Sound effects from zatspot.com. Special thanks to Jordan Birch, whose song Starry Night provides the intro and outro for this podcast. You can hear more of his music on YouTube 
or Spotify.